Okay, everybody, here we are. We are on in Masechta Brachos, Daf Beis Amud Beis. Now we're about to start a rather involved section over here, which is going to be going, I'll use the word against, you know, countering a lot of what we've seen till now, especially the Mishnah. And I think everybody who has ever learned the first Mishnah in Brachos is familiar with the halacha. Yes, and what's the earliest time to say Shema at night? The simple answer, the Mishnah says, from the time the Kohanim come into Ether Truma, the Gemara then explained that that means when the stars come out. And that's already been in you know, our mother's milk. Like we've gotten used to that. But what's going to happen, we are now, let's see how many lines, five, 10. Yeah, over 10 lines, let's say 12 lines from the top of the page on Bezum at Bez. And we'll be going all the way to the next page. We're going to discover that this is, in fact, no, Bezum at Bez, so the other side. Omar Mar? Yes. We're going to be discovering a whole lot of <clears throat> different opinions over here. Okay, so here we go. Let's just jump in, and then we'll explain as needed <clears throat> as we go on. Omar Mar, so that's at the two dots. It's the second word on the line. The first word on the line is Yoma, if you see it. So then the, this we begin. Omar Mar, That's pretty much our quote from the Mishnah. That's what Omar Mar means. Meaning Omar Mar means... You know, the master, meaning the one who was reciting the text, said this, by which we mean uh, the Mishnah over here. From the time the Kohanim enter to eat their truma. Uriminhu. Riminhu is an important word in Gemara. Riminhu is, I will throw something at you. <laughs> I, will, I will, you know, pile on top of you. Now, there are various kinds, a little bit of an introduction, and we'll see more of this as we learn more Gemara. There are different types of challenges to something that a Mishnah says. There is a challenge based on another text, and there is a challenge based on logic. Riminhu is a challenge based on another text, meaning... You're saying that the halacha is A, or meaning a Mishnah says the halacha is A. I'm going to throw something at you, but a text, not an argument, a text of equal validity right. or possibly greater validity that suggests, that, that says the opposite, or says something that argues with you. And then the Gemara is going to then be in a position where it has to somehow either reconcile the two and say, oh, they're not arguing, or they'll try, if that doesn't work, just say, well, you know, that's another rabbi of, and they're, you know, both valid opinions, but that's what Riminhu means, okay? <clears throat> so Riminhu. What's the literal translation? Means to, like, to place on top of is, you know, so we're using it somewhat euphemistically. I'm not sure how our scroll deals with that particular... Um, contrast. Contrast, okay. I don't always like 
Yeah, but that, that covers. Yeah, I understand. But it's sometimes good to know what fancy words they come up with. It's helpful. I didn't mean fancy in a negative way. Mamosai Korin is Shmabra Arvin. So this is now where, when you have the word Raminhu, what follows will be usually a text of a Brisa. It could be the text of another Mishnah in theory, but in this case, it's a Brisa. A Brisa will just be clear. We'll remind ourselves what a Brisa is. A Brisa was a teaching by a Tana that was left on the cutting room floor when they were writing the Mishnayos. Okay, sometimes a Mishnah itself, as our Mishnah did, if you remember back on Beis Hamadal, just spelling it out, what's the ending time for the nighttime Shema? We're given three opinions, which is right, Rabbi Eliezer, the Chachamin, and Rabbi Gamliel. Three opinions. But that which is nice, most of the time, there are either more opinions, or even when a Mishnah says, this is the Halacha, there are other opinions that the editor, meaning Rebbe, just left on the cutting room floor and decided he wasn't going to trouble us with. So this is one of those examples. When do you start saying the nighttime Shema? Rebbe said, I'm not even going to tell you that there are other opinions. I'm going to give you one opinion. When the Kohanim come to eat their Truma, I don't want you to know anything more than that for my purposes. What's the end time for Shema? I'll give you three. But this is coming out of a world in which, I'm making this up now, there could have been 10 opinions on when to start saying Shema and 10 opinions when to stop saying Shema. He decided to give us one for the start and three for the end. So, but this is when the Bryce's come in and the Bryce's are, you know, offer other opinions. <clears throat> and I'll tell you, sometimes the Gemara or the Halakh will be like one of those Bryce's. It's one of those interesting things. Even though, this is a history lesson, even though Rebbe is the one we all thank for um, who editing the Mishnah and giving us the Mishnah, they didn't really, by they, I mean the rabbis in his generation, the generations afterwards, almost it's as if they said, I'm making this up, but I'm just using words. Is it Rebbe? You did a wonderful job. However, we're not poskening like you. You know, like you might have written a wonderful work, like nowadays, sometimes this happens. I myself will like to, let's say, there are English language books on the halachas of Shabbos or Kashrus or Yom Tov. And these books are wonderful. And I'm very grateful to the authors for having assembled all the halachas in a clear format with chapters and everything. But I'll look it up. And I'll look in the halacha inside, and I'll say, oh, that's very interesting. We don't do that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Meaning, we paskin like the secret footnote that's at the bottom of the page that they just wrote in Hebrew. <clears throat> so that's the case over here, okay? Rebbe gave us a Mishnah. Thank you very much for the Mishnah. However, there are other views. I haven't even seen what that other view is yet. So let's take a look. He says... From the time that a poor person enters to eat his bread with salt. Right. <clears throat> but 
dinner, but specifically his bread with salt. Why is that even a standard? And I'll, but I'll just, let's hold off on the questions, but you can't help but just ask them. Why is a poor person being called out? Meaning in what way is a poor person different from just a person, which we'll see. Meaning when it comes to a Kohen, there's a standard. We understand, we, as we saw, it's actually now we're finally coming full circle. It's this week's Parsha. Mm -hmm. Parsha's Emor. I do an Aliyah a day. So yesterday's Aliyah was this, this halacha, that a Kohen can eat his holy food after the sun sets. And as we learned from Tosvos, it's not only the sun setting, it's when it's dark, right? When the, when the sun is totally gone, meaning when it's dark and you can see the stars. So that's a Kohen has a halachic line in the sand. He cannot eat this truma beforehand. If he was Tame and he went to the mikvah, he cannot eat his truma before. So halacha puts a limit on what time Zman Kriyashma is. But now you're going to tell me when a poor person eats? Do all poor people like eat at exactly the same time? Not halachically, obviously, meaning that there's no limit on when you know poor people are allowed to eat their food. We're not talking about a poor Kohen eating truma. Doesn't sound like that. We're just talking about a poor person. Yet somehow there's meant to be a guideline that is meant to be understood as to when uh, you can start saying Shema, meaning based on the poor man's uh, dinner habits. And now let's see, though, the, the next part is interesting. Until when? Until the hour or the time that he stands up, meaning that to leave his meal. That is quite limiting. You understand how little of a time frame that is? <clears throat> like I said, what time is Zvan uh, Kriyashma? Well, Zvan Kriyashma starts right when you, when you begin dinner, and it ends when you end dinner. Which leads Tosos to ask, when do you expect this man to say Shema? <laughs> He's supposed to eat. Meaning, how, how, long, uh, <clears throat> how long do you have over here? But anyway, that is the, uh, that seems to be the standard. Okay, fine. Let's go a little further before we look at anyone else, like Rashi or anything, just to show you how the Gemara wants to deal with this. The Gemara says, Seifa vadai pliga amasnisim. The end certainly disagrees with our Mishnah. Okay. What is end? So this is a common language in Gemara. A Mishnah or Gemara for that matter, any text will have what they call a Reisha and a Seifa, which are the Aramaic of the word Rosh and Sof, like Rosh Hashanah, right? So meaning there's a, there's an opening clause, the former and the latter. And Seifa means the latter, the concluding clause. So this Brisa right now, has an opening clause, which is what is the time you begin saying Shema? And it has a Seifa, the concluding clause, which is the time that you end the Shema. So this Mishnah said two things. The time you eat, you start your meal, 
And the safer is the time that you get up, the Ani gets up from the meal. So the Gemara suggests, but which is a very healthy way of viewing the world in general, and the way that the Gemara views the world and Tosos, which is minimize the machlokas if you can. Meaning come to terms with whatever you're combating, with whatever you're struggling with, and make your machlokas as small as logically possible. So the Gemara says, look, the concluding line of this brisa certainly argues with our Mishnah. Because he says, what's the end time for Shema? When you're done, when you're finished dinner, at the conclusion of dinner. What did our Mishnah say the last time to say Shema was? Either the friend of the first watch or midnight or the dawn when, when, the, when the light comes up in the morning. All of those times are after the conclusion of dinner. So we have a new opinion as to the end time for Shema, which is considerably earlier than anything we've heard before, right? Right. So it, is it that he is having a long dinner? I don't think so, because again, putting ourselves in their shoes, we, our night times go far later than anyone else's night times did in the pre electrical age. Even the wealthiest person who lit a hundred thousand candles, the candles are never really, even a, a nice big torch, let's say it's still dark. It's dark outside. It's dark except for the, you know, this torch. <clears throat> it's not a comfortable life. Nowadays, our everything, I think it's funny because nobody wants to get rid of electricity entirely. I think most of the health crises that we're going through is in the last century is the fact that we're simply not getting enough sleep. That our, our sleep rhythms are, are totally messed up. But either way, the end time is clearly arguing, okay? But the beginning time, why do you have to make an argument? I mean, you're coming out with your with your fists, you know, swinging. Reminhu, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to contrast what you're saying with another opinion. So the Gemara says, Resha mi lema pligi. But the Reisha, meaning the first part of our Brisa that talks about the, that says it's when the poor man comes in to eat dinner or his, his, his bread and salt. Who says that he's arguing with our Mishnah? Okay. Lo, ani v'kohen chad shurahu. So the Gemara's Current conclusion is the poor person and the Kohen, it's one shiur, meaning they're giving the same time. Remember, our brisa is not appended to our Mishnah. It's a separate teaching that was given at a different time by a different rabbi. So the fact that our Mishnah says that the starting time for nighttime Shema is when the Kohen comes to eat his truma. And another brisa says that the earliest time is when of the poor person comes home to eat his bread and salt doesn't mean that they're arguing. Could very well be that they're just, they found two ways of saying the same thing. 
I'm making this up, but just to give you a sense of this, to tell me it's the Kohen time, that would have been, the, the rabbi who would be saying that would be talking to a community where they have Kohanim. What if you're teaching a halacha to a group of people that where there are no Kohanim or very few Kohanim? You're not going to use that example. That's not a very helpful example. So say, well, they don't have Kohanim, but they have poor people. So maybe you'll try something else and you'll describe it as poor people. If it was within the same Mishnah, as we'll soon see, then obviously you have to say they're arguing with each other because they're talking in the same room, right? This guy says, it's from time Kohanim eat their dinner. And the other guy at the table says, it's the time the poor people come to eat their dinner. It's like, ooh, you two are arguing with each other. But right now, the Mishnah says one thing. The Bryce that was said at some other time in some other place by some other rabbi is saying something else. <laughs> it's healthier to assume that they're not arguing at all. Okay? Now, I just want you to uh, appreciate that point, meaning what it is that the Gemara is trying to do. Meaning the Gemara wants to come to clarity, which is why I brought up this other Brisa. However, the Gemara's attitude is, let's let, if we can, let both texts, meaning the text of our Mishnah and the text of our Brisa, agree in the same universe, meaning where they're, they're not arguing with each other at all. Just they're talking, like I said, they're using different examples. As another example, I'll just throw this out. We had, a, if imagine there was a brisa, which we didn't really have, but another brisa that says, what's the earliest time to say Shema? Tzesa Kochavim. Right? But no, none of this Kohen business, it would just have been a nice, Total simply, clarity. what? Total clarity. Total clarity. What is the earliest time to say Shema? Tzesa Kochavim. So imagine our Mishnah would have said, well, it's Kohanim. So imagine a world in which the Gemara would have said, I'll bring you someone that challenges you. There's this Brisa that says it's Tzesa Kohanim. Then the Gemara would have said, no, nah, they're not arguing. Kohanim eat their truma, Tzesa Kohanim. So they're, everyone's in agreement. That's what the Gemara is trying to do right now. Kohen, Ani, it's but, all the same. But would a, does a poor person wait that late to eat his meal? Isn't he going to eat when he has the ability to eat because he's poor and, he, and he's not sure he's going to have food later? Or am I reading into You're it? not reading into it. You're asking a question that we all have to ask right now. And I'll tell you, I'm not saying I'm rich or that I'm not a poor person, but we have to figure out, and Rashi and Tosas are going to be struggling with this, what do you mean poor person? Like what's, what, what angle are you going at? I'll just tell you right now, and I'm probably basing this on memory, but I'm not looking at Rashi and Tosas right now. I'll just tell you, I have two possible ways right now that are diametrically opposed to each other on how I would imagine what a poor person is, meaning what's his thing <laughs> that is making his dinner time recognizable. What would that be? One thing I would say is, well, he's poor. So maybe if he's working, he's out as late as possible to earn a buck. And he has, he has to work an extra long day. He does it and, you know, because he has to make money, has to put food on the table. All he's got is his bread and some salt. You know, he doesn't have any fancy dinner, but he's got to work hard for it because he's poor. He's saving, scrimping every penny. 
So maybe he's coming home really late. Again, I just made that up. I'll give you another perspective, which I think this is something we're going to see, which is poor person has no light. He has no candles. He can't afford oil. He can't afford lamp oil. So <clears throat> what's his dinner? He wants to eat dinner before it gets dark outside. So maybe when we are saying a poor person eating his bread and salt, it means earlier in the day because he knows that once it's like the Kohen, he can't see anything. <laughs> so he doesn't want to eat. It's like, imagine if, if we had, I, you know, I lived when I was in Newport News, we had a hurricane. We had no power for 11 days. So when we want to eat, we want to make sure to eat while it was light outside because we had no power. So I'm not sure what you're serving it. <laughs> right. What did we have two years ago? What? Oh, right, right. That's a good example. But at the beginning of COVID, when we resumed our davening, and we were davening, we were having our minion out in the parking lot. So we arranged, it was summertime, to daven Mincha Mariv at Plag <laughs> before and after Plaga Mincha, like we do on Friday nights here. That's what we were doing all week, so we could have the sunlight. Yeah, so we weren't poor, but we had, it's before I think they installed those yeah. bright, what I call the Kiddush Levana security lights, you know, that, <laughs> that enable us to, uh, <clears throat> remember Harold Shafter for years, and he daven here, uh, and we do Kiddush Levana. He was frustrated at the lack of uh, lighting, oh, okay. Kiddush Levana, and he offered to um, put a down payment to pay for some, right now we have the security grant, so we have Kiddush Levana lights. But anyway, so that's a good example. So you have the poor. Yeah, but that would put the Bishraita and our Mishnah beginning time at odds with each other. Yes. Well, I'm just throwing it all out. You meaning you could see that it's the same based on what I just said, that a poor person is working to earn every penny. That, that would make the Kohen and the poor man's times the same, meal times the same. If you view the poor man as wanting to eat a lot earlier while it's still light outside, that would make it a different time. So we're going to have to figure this out because this is only the first of a number of different views. But here you have a poor person, and then your Kohen. So the first theory right now that Gemara says is, they're the same thing. The poor person and the Kohen are all one, uh, one time, okay? Now, we're going to take a peek right now. We could go further because there's a lot to be said, but I don't want to jump ahead right now because I think even just that alone has a lot of information. So let's take a look here at Rashi first. Rashi says, let's find it. It is one, two. Misheha Ani. So it's if you're looking in the format of Rashi, the text of Rashi, Rashi's the first four lines are wider and then they get narrow. The third narrow line, Misheha Ani, mm -hmm. <clears throat> says Rashi. She'ain lo ner. He doesn't have a lamp. Lahadlik bisudaso. To light at his meal. So it's like I said, 
His, what Rashi is interpreting this Gemara or this Brisa, that he, he's doing it earlier than the Kohen, at least right now. This is what we're thinking. He's doing it earlier because he lacks light in the house. That's what makes him poor. Meaning otherwise, like I said, poor people need to eat just like rich people. Like, what do you mean when a poor person eats? So that's Rashi is going for that angle. Okay, he's saying because the poor person doesn't have life, so he's eating earlier. Rashi continues, Seif Avadai Pligad Masnison, the concluding line, meaning that's when he's done with his meal, is certainly arguing with our Mishnah, because the text of this Brisa that we have is from the time that he gets, that, meaning until the time he gets up from his meal. It's like nobody. Now take a look. Rashi is now going to provide a, an interesting uh, example of how this <clears throat> viewpoint can actually make any sense. Meaning, think how small of a window that is. How long is your dinner? Shabbos, you have a longer meal. You got your, I don't know, your things, miros, eat fish. I don't know. You have more things. A poor person who is eating, so besides for not having enough light, I think we have to assume the poor person doesn't have a lot to eat, is the point as well. He described his meal. What? He described his meal. Right. His meal, what's for dinner? Bread. Anything else? Salt. That's, That's the extent. How long does that take? Okay, so you're wondering, like, what kind of Zman Kriyashma is that? My goodness, we're all used to thinking of Zman Kriyashma like you got hours at least. So here Rashi feels the need, and by the way, whenever Rashi says anything, it's because he feels the need to say it. How do you give such a small window for Shema? So he says, Didarish Uvishachbacha, because his take on the word Uvishachbacha, which is what all of this is about. I just want to make this clear. It's about nothing else. <laughs> We're not talking about anything else except for the word uveshachbacha. When you go to sleep, he understands that as meaning techilas zman shechiva. Okay? The beginning, meaning when you go to sleep. Our Mishnah interprets that as being the end of the first watch. So here we just have to remind ourselves back that very first class, the very first luncheon. <laughs> we said Uvashachbacha has two meanings. And frankly, so it does it in English. When you go, when you sleep, that's what Shachshoche means to lie down. Does lie down mean from a sitting or standing position, lying down? Or is it a reference to the position of being lying down? What's the difference? Because if it means lying down, then as long as people are sleeping, as long as the bulk of mankind is sleeping in your time zone, then that's all the time you've got for Shema. Meaning from the beginning of the night the to the end of the night. You got, I don't know, even in the summer, you got eight hours, you know, or up to in the winter, you got 16 hours, you know. But according to the view that it's when you are going to sleep, then we had Rabbi Eliezer. 
Rabbi Eliezer said, look, people are going to sleep the first third of the night. So what Rashi is saying is, listen, everybody, I want you to appreciate this new point of view. But this new point of view is not a new point of view on the meaning of a It's taking Rabbi Eliezer to sort of a new level, which is it's when you're going to sleep. When are you going to sleep? So it means only of the night. So Rabbi Lezer would tell our anonymous rabbi over here, yeah, the beginning of the night, the first third of the night. And this rabbi, our poor man's rabbi, is saying, no, that's not the beginning of the night. The beginning of the night is the very beginning of the night. Now, I can't just give you one minute to say Shema, but the point is the beginning of the process of people um, of people going to sleep. So meaning between eight and nine, you're done. That's the whole thing. But it's in principle agreeing with Rabbi Eliezer's translation of the word uvashachbacha. That's what Rashi wants us to know. Okay. So now. Hanukkah, oh, see Hanukkah, that's a good example. Meaning Hanukkah, though, we say, what, what is the time to light Hanukkah candles? That's wonderful, Ricky. That's very good. The time to light Hanukkah candles is, says, when, when, the, when the feet clear from the marketplace. Meaning what we would call rush hour. Now, what's interesting about rush hour is that rush hour is the time where people are actually clearing out to go home. That's when they're starting to eat dinner, <laughs> meaning once they go home. So that's all, right, it's like this half hour window that you've got. So it sounds over here like this poor man's dinner isn't much more than that. That's a nice example. It's later than the Hanukkah candle time because that's when people are literally still out in the streets. And here we're saying no, they're not. They're 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 coming inside the house. <coughs> so yeah, I like that a lot. So Rashi takes, he says, he explains on the words, Ani the Kohen, the poor man in the Kohen. He says, Ani the Ani, the poor man, every night, all his nights. The Kohen Tame, and the Kohen when he is Tame to come to eat Truma. That's one time. Which is when the stars come out. Meaning, Rashi is explaining the Gemara's attempted resolution. That maybe the poor man and the Kohen are all one time, just a different perspective. Meaning, looking at it from a different sociological lens. Right, This guy's paying attention to Kohanim. This man is paying attention to poor people, but it's really the same time. Okay, so again, that's a very small window. 
Rashi felt the need to tell us what that small window was based on, saying it's based on a more limited, but really similar or identical take on what Uva Shachbacha means. It means when you're going uh, to sleep. Okay. So now I'm going to take a look here, just the beginning. We're not going to finish it. But there's a Toso, since I, I like the, uh, the fact that we're covering Toso so here. Misha'a. You have that Toso, it's the third Toso on the page. The big word that starts it off is the word Misha'a. Almost dead center. Yeah. Misha'a, <clears throat> so Toso says, Misha'a from the time that the poor man comes in to eat his bread with salt. Tema, this is shocking. Ani Gufe, this Ani himself. Masa Yispalel, when do you expect this man to daven? Deha Amarta Zman Achilaso Hainu Zman Kriyashma. You just told me that the time of, that he needs to eat is the time of Shema. So what? So let him say it then. Well, Tosa says, Kevin Shabbos Man Kriyashma. <coughs> Once it's Man Kriyashma, Osr Lahaskal Bisuda. He's not allowed to eat. Think about it. Achi is Palel. Beresha, he has to daven first. You took away his whole dinner time. I imagine the husband says to his wife, Okay, after a hard days of work to earn my few uh, pennies over here, I'm coming home for dinner at 6 p.m. This is wonderful. Look forward to seeing you. Your bread will be and salt will be ready at 6 p.m. Then comes home. Honey, I'm home. Your dinner's ready. Oh, sorry, got to go out, got to daven marav. Or I'll daven at home, but I have to daven marav now. Kedetanya kori kriyashma umispala. So it's like the Bryce says later in a few pages. He has to say Shema first. He has to daven first. Ve'okel pito. Then he eats his bread. Umevarech makes a bracha achron or benches. Chol haover al divrei chachamim chayev misa. The Gemara later says, you violate what the rabbi said. You deserve death. That's pretty strict. So, so Tosos is just dealing, struggling with this. And his answer is Yesh Lomar, here's a potential answer, or not potential, but this is yet you can say. You actually davened before his meal. It doesn't mean at exactly the same time, because it's exactly the same time. You can't eat and daven at the same time. Ella purta meikara. Purta means a little bit, a little bit before. Komar. While they're getting his meal ready, he can read the Shema, Yikra means to Kriya Shema, which is quite interesting, which means that at least according to Tosus' thinking, it's not, honey, I'm home. Oh, here's your setting and everything's ready. It's, honey, I'm home. Oh, let me set the table. Oh, perfect. While you're setting the table, yeah, the footnote here I'm says the, the Ritva says that that's why he uses the lotion of enters to eat. Ah, excellent. It's He's entering, right? So not entering dig in, but enter the home. He comes home. They he say, says, oh, daddy's home. Let's set the table. 
While you're setting the table, we'll I'll say Shema. Very good. While setting the table, say Shema, Davin, as, as Sosa says. So there we go. Right. Ah, Tosas doesn't like what you're saying, Ricky. And not Maruf. Just say Krishna and not Davin Maruf. Tosas always puts the two together. We've seen this since the previous page. Tosas is not splitting this. He wants Shema and Shvanesre like we do it. It's all part of the same process. And that's that's why he throws it in. I believe later we talked about um the same concept. The person is a free, you know, working after he came out from work. That's the daytime spot. Right. Where you have this where you they take on this cap actually doing two things at one time. You'll be davening and doing what is your job or something. That's because he's got to work. Meaning there were no workers' rights in those days. Person hired a worker, it was to work the whole time. And Halakha sort of recognized, unlike nowadays where, I mean, we've had people in the shul suffer under certain nasty bosses where they don't give them Shabbos or Arab Shabbos or Yantif. In those days, forget about it. Yeah, you get Shabbos and Yantif, but they were not, no, these day laborers, their bosses and the field owners were no mood to be generous at all. It wasn't give me a half hour for shoppers and 15 minutes for mincha. It was like, I hired my workers to work all day. If the rabbis had insisted on giving them, you know, no, a Jewish worker has to, you know, take off her shoppers and benching and mincha and everything, you know, Jews would have been, there would have been no jobs. So later we'll see, we see how they tried as much as they could. Say, oh, okay, you're a worker, fine. You don't have to do all the benching. You just have to say the first two brachos and you can, you can say Shema while you're up in the tree, you know, all of that. But now we're not dealing with that because this is the nighttime Shema. So at the very least, we are assuming that these people are done their work day. So that's why everyone's coming home. Even the, the, not the coin coming home to eat truma, but even the poor person, everyone's, you know, their their day has uh, winded down and it's it's over. That's a good comparison. <clears throat> okay, so what we'll close with is this, and we just scratched the surface because we're gonna we're gonna be meeting many more brises before this is done. But this is our first opinion over here. I mean, our first new opinion is we've discovered a new opinion with some explanation from Rashi on why the end time for Shema, according to the Brisa, is so limited, because he's understanding as when, and remember, most people are poor then. Poor, but what do we mean by poor? By poor, we mean the people who are not rich. Okay, and I'll show you, there's a very interesting passage, I think it's in Parshas Vayikra. It says, if you have a person, he brings a carbon and he can afford to bring an animal. That's wonderful. If he's poor and can't afford a, a sheep, he brings a bird. If he's very poor and can't afford a bird, he brings wheat. He brings a wheat offering. So this is something Dave Farkas told me. He says, look at this chumish. There's no middle class. There's, you can afford it or you're poor or you're super poor. <laughs> there, there's no there's no language of middle class so ani is everyone who is not you, you're an usher you know who's not a millionaire 
So the Ani is basically, and remember, until the 1800s, where most of the human race was living on a subsistence level. Subsistence level farming was the rule. There was nothing, there was no extras. The people who were wealthy because of various reasons going back into the past of their communities, maybe they helped everyone win a big war, or you know, then you had money. Except for those, the, today's thinking of the 1% versus the 99% doesn't come close to describing the reality of the 1% versus the 99% before the Industrial Revolution. So the Ani here is describing most people. <clears throat> so the second thing I wanted to end by just pointing out, <clears throat> and this is it's more of like a drusha, but it's an important thought nonetheless, meaning it's important here for our Mishnah. Remember when we were starting and we were talking about the Kohen, I said, why are you talking about the Kohen? If you can look at the stars, then that's enough. Why do you have to pay attention to the Kohen? It says, because this is, the Mishnah is saying, this is how Jews should function. When they want to know what it is that they should do, they should look to their role models. Look at what the Rav does, Maiser Rav. Look at what the Rav does. Look what the holy person does, which in the in the Mishnah's time was a Kohen. Our Brysa right now that we learned today is saying, yes, of course, it's a nice thing. Look at what your role models do. But another way of looking at how to be a mensch is look at those who are doing, who are faring worse than you are doing. Meaning before you eat your meal, and before you say Shema, don't just look, oh, let me look how the Rav does it. Let me look at how the Tzaddik does it. Look at the people who are less fortunate than you are doing it. Just to use an example from Shul, like a Shul culture or Yeshiva culture, one way of looking how to daven, you'll say, okay, let me see how the Rav davens. Oh, he's davening out of a sitter. Ah, oh, very nice. Oh, he's saying with Kavana. Very good. Another way to daven in a shul, look around. Does somebody not have a sitter? Does somebody know, is he confused? And you see he's flipping around the book. He doesn't know what page we're on. You know, so you pay attention like that. You're looking at people who are on the other side of the spectrum. And you want to make sure to take care of them. Go get them a sitter. Go get them a sitter with English. Go tell them, what, you know, show them what page it is. Meaning that angle is just as religious of a point of view as the person who's looking at the tzaddik or the rav to see what, what he should do, to look at the others, you know, on the other side. And that's clearly what the what the Bryce is saying by telling us instead of looking at the Kohen, look at the uh, look at the Ani. Okay, so we'll stop for there.